All right, so to recap where we're up to, is there, is there a pen? We spoke about the philosophy, and we used the example of a triangle. The example of a triangle is a triangle map on what the philosopher thinks. The philosopher gave his conception of God. Now remember, from a philosopher in those days, in the 12th century, the philosopher was the scientist. There was no distinguishing, there was no, there was no marker between a scientist and a philosopher, it was all one and the same. It was natural philosophy. But they were the, I suppose it was the main antagonist <laughs> of the Jewish people. Not that they actually had a fight, but in terms of the attempting philosophy was philosophy. The attempting thing that was drawing Jews away from Yadut was a philosophical outlook. So Rabbi Yehuda Halevi opens up the floor to the philosopher through the language of the yeah. king. What? what time is it? Uh, 11th century. Uh, uh, 1170, I, I'm not exactly sure the beauty, as I said, the beauty about this book is, as I said, the scientist and the philosopher are no different, which makes the question for us so relevant, because the thing that draws us away isn't Christianity. Some people are tempted by Christianity, but in general, it's secularism. It's that this religious stuff is primitive and silly. Let's shake a lulav around, throw up, get enlightened. We've had the enlightenment. You have to have your fruits and vegetables, waving them around and playing to your deity. Grow up. <laughs> That's the way it's drawing us away. That is what draws us away. I and mean, I'm talking oh, from personal experience, for myself. What tempts me isn't Jesus and virgin births. That's not, I find like so profound. Or, or Islam, I don't find these things interesting. A secular philosophy I find interesting, which is what is, which is what is tempting today. Is that why those parents today do that it's a tradition for all brothers? Like, I've always thought that was like- What do you mean? Like, like, sorry, I just picked this up. No, 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 it's fine. I, it's, I like, it, 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 it's, it's more of a discussion because there's less people, so yeah. I've heard brothers like two approaches to Judaism, one that like, it's because you were handed it down, and another one because you, it's an interesting point because he'll he'll delve into both of those. One they call it and the other one they would call like a more the question just to repeat it for the camera, not the camera, the, or the recording. Um, is that is there's two no no also I, I actually got criticism from uh, some of the ways I reacted to some of the questions that I didn't repeat the question from people who listened to it on our, listened to it afterwards. The, the question is there are two approaches to finding Hashem. And some are more risky than others. But Imunapshuta is maybe very strong and firm, but then you can't defend yourself. If you just have a philosophical um, approach, then maybe it can be taken apart. And Rabbi Yehuda Levi approaches both of those views later on, once the rabbi gets involved. But before the rabbi, we have to finish off with the philosopher. The philosopher describes his conception of God. His conception of God is the perfect being. Not like Jews believe in God, because Jews believe that God thinks about you knows you. God does not know your name as far as the philosopher is concerned, because that would be a sign of an imperfection in God. What, before he knew your name, he was imperfect, and now he knows your name, he's perfect? No. The God of the philosopher is perfect. Man and the world. Man is, has a connection to God, according to the philosopher. The world is basically an outgrowth of God. It's a natural outgrowth of what we mean by God. The universe was never created, it has always been. Man builds a relationship with God, and I'm using the God in the loosest sense of the word, through activating his intellect. 
without going through the entire structure or, or, the, or the, the Neoplatonic or the Aristotelian structure, it's, as I said, it's using this concept called the active intellect and how they looked at the ultimate existence relating to our world was quite complex. And it was a way of talking about how our mind, which is immaterial as far as they're concerned, there's an aspect to our mind, which is immaterial, how that can be used to connect to the highest beings. That was a process of what they called conjoining with the active intellect. The active intellect is like what you would call a, uh, a, a spiritual level above our world. And they believe that you could connect to that through your intellect, through working on a true ideas and through incorporating true ideas, you were able to work yourself up a, the, 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 the levels of transcendence to God. And thereby you were connecting to something true. And why were you doing it? Because then you were connecting to truth. How should you do it? The philosophers like whatever works for you. Christianity, Islam, as long as you're able to facilitate this growth, the particular religion doesn't make a difference. My goal is connection to the ultimate reality. How do I go about doing that? Whatever religion works for you. He says, yes, you have to be a good person. Why? Because if you're an arrogant person, you can't activate, you can't, we know this today. Smart, intelligence isn't all we care about. If you have a really intelligent person and they're an arrogant whatever, then you don't look at their intelligence as being worth very much because you know they haven't taken other people's opinions into account. In which case, how smart are they? Intelligence, and in this case for the philosopher, your ability to connect to transcendence isn't only a function of your IQ, it's also a function of your midas. So you have to perfect your midas, but it's all in the goal of transcending to connect to the ultimate reality. Yes? Do you mean when you said connect the ultimate reality, you mean the ultimate good, the perfect being that is God? Yes, yes. Now, their conception of God and our conception of God are exactly the same. But anyway, this is what the philosopher proposes to the rabbi. Last week, we touched upon a couple of areas how we would give knee-jerk responses to these points that the philosopher makes. What do we mean by God, and how does that equal perfection as well? What do we think the mission of mankind is, and what do we think the world is? But moving on from there, what we're going to do now is the king's response, and the king's response is very key. Who would like to read? Do you read? Go for it. The king's response. Oh, sorry. Oh. So you'll read it. You'll read the next response. You read the king. Go for it. I read the king. You read the king. You will read, uh, no offense, but you will read the Christian. Yeah, <laughs> said to him, the Kazari, your words are convincing, yet they do not correspond to which I, I wish to, uh, to what I wish to find. I know already that my soul is pure and that my actions are calculated to gain the favor of God. To all this, I received the answer that, that this way of action does not find favor through the, though the intention does. There must, no, there must no doubt be a way of acting, pleasing by its very nature, but not through the medium of intention. If this is not so, why then do Christians and Muslims who divide the inhabited world between them fight with one another, each of them serving his God with pure intention, living either as a monk, as monks or hermits, fasting and praying, for all, for all that they, they lie with each other is in committing murders, believing that this is the most pious work and brings them nearer to God. They fight in the, in the belief that paradise and eternal bliss will be their reward. It is, however, impossible to agree with both. Okay, so what leaps out to us about the king's response, and there's a lot of ideas, and one of the, the dangers of ever doing a, 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 a philosophical work is that we can literally be bogged down in his response for two weeks, probably more, but we're not going to do that. We're going to touch upon a couple of ideas. What is the, what, what strikes us as we read the response? The philosopher has given us his way of life. He's given us a conception of God, an idea of the world, an idea of man, and a goal. 
And the king's response? Yep. Exactly. He, the king isn't disagreeing with him. He isn't saying to him, your worldview is wrong. You're just not answering my problem. I had a dream. Now, a person going to say, well, that's not really a good argument. That, that's the point here. He's falling back on the encounter he had with the angel. And the, the importance here is, and this is why it's from a contemporary standpoint, very powerful. He talks about that I have to find a way of acting in the world. The Christians and the Muslims have a way of being in the world, of acting in the world, and I have to work out what I need to do. It doesn't prescribe a specific action, this philosophical worldview, but I know that's my issue because I had a dream. He's going back to the encounter he had with the angel. And that's, once again, the whole story goes back to that. Because once again, from Yehuda HaLevi's point of view, we have an encounter. We strive for meaning. We're looking for purpose. We're looking to know how we should act in the world. The philosopher doesn't answer those questions. And just to give you a, a contemporary parallel to the importance of this point, from a secular standpoint, as I said, the challenge for the religious life today is secularism. It's not Christianity necessarily, but what does a scientific secular worldview give you? It, we might agree with it completely. We might agree with it completely the way it describes the world, but it's not telling us how to act. It's not answering that, that existential question of what should my purpose be? How should I act in the world? And for me, this was a, a, a contemporary parallel. The example that I, I give is when you have uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs had a debate with Richard Dawkins. It's a fun debate to watch. Nobody, neither of them did particularly amazingly. But it, the point of the, the, the reason why it was an interesting debate is because Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, isn't the type of person, he's a, he's a big rabbi in the UK who passed away recently. He was a scientific man. He didn't disagree with the science of his atheist interlocutor. His point was, I agree with you, but your worldview is not telling me how to act in the world. How to act requires a vision of a purpose. You're telling me to connect to the active intellect. I can ask why. Why should this be something I should pursue? What should I do to pursue it? When it comes to the philosopher, that's why it's, it, it, it's telling us a what of the world. This is the makeup of reality. Right, but what should my purpose be? It's telling me a not, not a why. In a similar way, a, a, uh, a scientific worldview can tell me what is, but can't tell me how I ought to act. Ought to act requires a philosophy, requires a worldview, requires a goal. Describing the way the world is doesn't tell me what I have to do in it. You need a purpose behind that. Yes. I see. Just so, 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 good, good point. To repeat the question, don't we see Christianity sort of like filtering its way into less observant Judaism, meaning yeah. happening in schools and et cetera, et cetera? A hundred percent. What I mean by a threat, I'm not being threatened. I don't care. I'm telling, meaning from my point of view, I don't know that someone's attacking us. Secularism isn't attacking Jews. I don't mean threat in that respect. 
I mean, in terms of when people leave religion, both in Christianity and in Judaism, and in Islam, often it's that question about whether it, where, where the people, apparently Islam is growing and Christianity is also growing. But from my experience and the experience of people I've spoken to, and this, this is not a scientific claim, when people leave religion, either be it uh, students or friends or whoever it may be, people move down a secular road. It's not, this because, it's not because there's a heavy evangelical move to grab Jews, even though there is that, there is Jews for Jesus, but their success isn't massive. More Jews are just estranged Jews. They keep the Jewish identity, but they just have no religious outlook. That's what I mean by the secular world. No, 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 no. I just mean the negation of religion in your life. In the West specifically, the more affluent a society gets, the less religious they get. If not, they become Christians. We're becoming so affluent, which we're thinking God is irrelevant in our lives. So that's why, and I call that the secular scientific worldview, because science is what people fall back on. People fall back on science works, science makes sense, and the philosopher can answer, this works, this makes sense, this is what I'm going to pin my worldview on. And the king is saying, yeah, but it doesn't answer my question. But at the same time, this is that once again the parallel to our lives, the philosopher hasn't been destroyed. And this was a conversation we were having earlier. We're not dis a, 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 an intelligent discussion with someone who's secular wouldn't be to dismantle science. Sometimes religious people fall into that trap. They try and dismantle science because they feel threatened by it. That should never be a religious person's goal mm -hmm. because then your religion basically becomes the darkness that science is trying to light up. And every time science moves closer to you, you shrink away. Science should be a way of interacting with the world. It doesn't give you purpose. In a similar way, the philosopher is not being dismantled here. He's gonna remain throughout the story because the Kuzari, Rabbi Huda Levi, is using philosophy to articulate his worldview. He's bringing argumentation, he's bringing evidence, he's bringing experiencing, he's bringing the idea of um, testimony. He's gonna be bringing reasons to justify his worldview. That's the world of philosophy. But he's bringing the Jewish purpose to bear. Yeah. But he also mentions that, he also mentions like the difference between Christianity and like, and like a Muslim, like a Muslim and how, how they act is different. Yes. And so I guess it's like, I don't know why that jumped out on me in terms of that you could have, you could have two, like surely he's also, he's also questioning how you can have two people who believe in, in a God. And, and, so and how contradictory like, way he's acting in the world. Yeah, like how can, how can believing in a, in a, in a, in a, a God, a monotheistic God, probably having similar roots and origin into such sort of ways of acting? And that's why the next stage is to, to invite the Christian and see how the Christian, because you're right, they have two opposing worldviews, opposing worldviews. They approach the world radically differently and they think the other person's going to hell. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, Judaism, once again, has an advantage on this point. Yeah. We, don't, we, have a, we have space for the other religions within Judaism, not the other religions, meaning we're not like saying the other religions are true, but Judaism exists as a system allowing other religions to exist at the same time without saying the existence of you negates me or the existence of me negates you. Yeah. yeah. When last time you said that the philosopher, if I remember correctly, the philosopher said that his worldview, the worldview is based through any kind of means of religion, also other kind of ideology or philosophy. So the king doesn't need to dismantle him because he is he's like a believer in what he presents to That's a very good point. That's a very good point. So, very good. See, they just repeat the point. The king doesn't even need to dismantle it because the approaches of the other people, except for killing people, that's where I think that's why he brings up the idea of killing people. 
because killing people, which other religions are doing, they think is the right action. They have good intentions and they're living these actions out. The philosopher's not asking us to kill anybody, which is actually an interesting point. The, um, the point, I think, the, the point you're making, I think is well said, the idea that the, in an ideal sense, the philosopher could fit in with anybody. He's not negating another world in terms of how to act. If it's the right way to act, then it should fit in line, which is, uh, which is quite interesting because the idea that he says that to bring on these character traits of purity, whichever religion works for you, that non-committalness also makes him pretty useless from the point of view of the king. But no, there's no need to dismantle it, I suppose. Let's see if that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Uh, so, all right. Now, now let's, without spending too much time on this, meaning I want to wait to too much, let's move into the Christian. I forgot your name, I apologize. Um, yes, could you read the Christian, please? I, thought, I, I wanted to call you by your name, but I forgot your name, sorry. Jess. Jess, could you please read? Thank you. I believe, uh, that's what I believe, in all that is within the Torah of records, you can still read Israel with because they are oh, so pause one second. I've cut out a, a bunch of like random parts in the middle. For example, the king says, oh, what am I to do? I'm going to invite a Christian. There's that, there, there is that dialogue that has happened. But now, as you said, the Christian is now being asked to justify his worldview, just to give it context. Yeah. Um, because there are she bore him with semblance of a human being, but covered in divinity, seemingly a prophet, but in reality, a God sent forth. He is the Messiah, whom is called the Son of God, who is the Father of the Son and Lord of the Spirit. He condemns his nature into one thing, but the Trinity appears all the We believe him in his abode among the children of Israel, granted to them as a distinction of his divine influence, never ceased to be attached to them until the masses rebelled against this Messiah and crucified him. Although they are not of Israelite descent, we are well deserving of being called children of Israel to be followed in the side of the scholars of our companions to place in the tribes. To us, was also granted victory and expansion over countries. All nations are invited to this religion and charged to practice it to adore the Messiah and the cross which he was put on and the like. Excellent. Why would they adore the cross? Because, because, because it, it represents Jesus' sacrifice, his sacrifice for us. It's very poetic and very beautiful. Since you adore the cross, since you, just by the way, it's an interesting sidetrack. What do we call the situation of Yitzhak? We call it the Akedas Yitzhak. What does Christians call it? The sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac, Isaac wasn't sacked. That, 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 that connection to death, you see being lived out in the cross. Their symbol is death, which is, which is I suppose, a little bit dark. What does the Christian do? To just think about the arguments, and as once again, we're going to be we're, we're doing this like um obviously we're not delving too deeply into it. But the Christian gives a certain number of arguments. Number one, I'm standing on the foundation of the Jews. That's how he opens up. The Jews are right. Now let's keep on going. Then there's the Messiah, which is a Jewish idea, and we have the Messiah. I follow the Messiah. He's being super Jewish at this point. I mean, he's standing on the foundation of the Jewish people. That's his opening argument. He then gets a bit of weird about virgin birth and embryos and stuff, but then he moves on to the idea of that the Jewish people are invited to continue on this. They crucified God, and he ends up with his final argument, which is, we basically took over the world. We've been super successful. So if you had to extract, and there's other ways, there's other points to extract, but if you want to extract just two points from a Christian for the moment. Number one, I have a good basis because I'm fulfilling, I'm continuing the, the, the line of the Jewish people which means whatever basis you give to the Jewish people, we're just going further than that. 
He follows his idea about God and the Messiah and the Trinity. It's a bit of like theology in the middle. And he ends off with, um, to, also, uh, to us was also granted victory and expansion over other countries. Pretty good. If you're like a successful religion, and if you're going to say success is indicative of truth, then that's pretty good. <coughs> the Christian lays down his argument. And it's actually worth pointing out, there's a fellow called Peter of Abelard yeah. in the 12th century who wrote a very similar book. He's a Christian in France, wrote a very similar book to the Rabbi Yudha Levi, about 30 years apart. And it's very differently structured. He gives, abs- he gives general respect to each side, or genuine respect. Obviously, he's going to come up with Christians being right. But he lets the Jew give his part, and he lets the Muslim give their part, and then he proper debates it. We've got a small section for the Christian, and then we're going to dismiss it. Is it convincing? The other one, I've never read the whole thing, but I, I assume to probably to an extent. I don't know. But the, once again, the reason why Rabbi Hudan literally is just going to put them out before he knocks them down is because this isn't the challenge he's working with. And there are other times in history where Christianity was the challenge. But often when Christianity is the challenge, unfortunately, it's not because theologically it's tempting. It's that it's either, Christ, it's either the cross or the sword, or actually the, the, the snake. It's more Islam or the sword. It's not because we find it like, you know, compelling from an ideological standpoint, even though there are people, obviously, who do. The response of the, the, response of the rabbi. So the Christian has laid out his argument. Now the rabbi, the, the king's going to, you know, react to it. Wants to be a wants to be a king again? You want to be the king again? Yeah. yeah. So often, when the, the, when, so when 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 Judaism is being tempted by other ideologies, it's very rarely. Oh, let's put it this way: Hanukkah time. We were tempted by the ideology of Hellenism. Why? Because it was attractive. It was a it was a beautiful philosophy. It tempted the better part of us. In a similar way, Rabbi Yehuda Halevi's Philosopher is tempting the Jews of his time. That's a beautiful system. The king doesn't even dismantle it. It's a genuine challenge. Christianity, what draws Jews away from Judaism to Christianity, en masse, is very rarely the beauty of Christianity. More often than not, it's either you convert or you die, or convert or you'll lose any sort of social standing. So, yeah, so it would, so, it, it, so that doesn't mean there aren't individuals who find Christianity tempting, which, and, and that's a, a situation that definitely exists, but en masse, not so much. Okay, you want to go for it? Yeah. Sasha, you... um, I, I see here no logical conclusion. Nay, logic rejects most of, of what thou says. If both appear, appearances and experiences are so palpable that they, that they take the hold of the whole heart, Comparing the views and the faith of what one is not convinced, they render the, the matter more feasible by an semblance of, log- of logic. This is how natural philosophers deal with strange phenomenon which comes up upon a thing of which one is not convinced, uh, on, on awareness, and which they, they would not believe if they only heard of them without seeing them. When they, ha- when they have examined them, they discuss them and ascribe them to the influence of stars or spirits without disproving ocular evidence. As for me, I cannot accept these things because they come upon me suddenly, not having grown up with them. It is my duty to investigate them further. So I think of the, 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 the what's the king saying? What you're saying doesn't make sense. <laughs> but he's not saying it in an arrogant type of way. He's saying, when we come across experiences, visceral encounters, we have to make sense of them. 
what experience did the king just have? He had a dream. He's going back to that. I had a dream. I have to make sense of that dream. I didn't, I wasn't brought up believing in the Trinity. If I was brought up believing in the Trinity, maybe I would make sense of it. Maybe I would argue for it. One of the reasons perhaps why he's doing this from my, from our point of view is that <laughs> if you were brought up in a different society, would you believe something different? The correct, 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 correct. The, the point the king's making is I had an encounter with an angel. I have to make sense of that. But I didn't have an encounter with Jesus. In which case, like the examples he brings with philosophers, that if they come across something that they, they can't, they have to fit it into a pattern because they experienced it. A person could say illusions, but he's not going down. I wasn't brought up a Christian. So you literally, out of nowhere, slapped onto the table the Trinity. What? God, virgin birth, Trinity three in one? Sorry, I don't feel compelled to make sense of that. Giving the opening that if I was brought up in that worldview, perhaps I would try and make sense of that. Remember, that's a very like aware thing to say. He's giving that opening, A, for a Christian reading to say, yeah, well, you were brought up in that, but I was, so I can give all the interpretations and justifications. The reading that I see in this is that recognition, or at least the humility, that recognizing that if I wasn't brought up in the, in the scenario or the environment I was brought up in, I could very well be a different person. That doesn't mean I don't think I'm correct. It doesn't mean I don't think I have good reasons. It doesn't mean I can't argue and justify my worldview, but it does give you a big dose of humility. Myself being who I am today isn't a pure outgrowth of my work. A huge amount of it is where I was brought up. If I was brought up in a Catholic school, I might be standing, well, not here, I might be standing somewhere else arguing for the truth of the Trinity. I might be. I can't negate that possibility. On some sort of meta level, I think, no, who I am, I would pursue the truth and I would see inconsistencies there and they would compel me, maybe, but unlikely. I could very well be, now, that's not saying I'm becoming completely deterministic. I do believe that we care about reasons, not about where things emerge from. Putting that in a, in a logical structure, when a person talks about, uh, asked you, uh, if you were born in uh, Saudi Arabia, would you be a Muslim? Probably. But that doesn't necessarily mean the worldview you've taken today is wrong. It's called the generic fallacy. It's the origins of something don't negate the truth. For example, a person can say, the idea of God only exists in humanity because we were scared. That might be true. Humanity may have come up with the idea of God because they were scared. Does that mean God doesn't exist? No, it doesn't. It feels like it should, but it doesn't. That's why they call it a fallacy. You point to the origin of something, doesn't negate the truth of it. You tell me I'm Jewish because I was born Jewish. Right, but I might have independent reasons why it's worth being Jewish. Does that make sense? That connection between origins and where I am today, that, that, that you can't dismantle my worldview now just pointing out where it came from. A person only believes in God because they, they crave a father figure. That might be true, but that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. So what the Kuzari king is doing here is saying, listen, I wasn't brought up a Christian. So in essence, you're literally handing me a bag of weird contradictions. I don't feel compelled to make sense of that. I didn't experience that. A person can say, wait a minute, you just spoke to an angel. He says, yeah, I experienced that. And I will make sense of that, which is, is, is a, a thread that he's going to follow through the whole book. 
Because when he talks about Judaism's justification, what is the justification of a Jew making sense of things that might seem uh, not contradictory, might seem things that might be difficult to incorporate, that require a step beyond what's logically rational and provable? We had an encounter. We had an encounter. He's going to constantly go back to Harsinai as being the absolute foundation of Judaism. Because without Harsinai, it's a bag of random contradictions that, you know, or a bag of random, yeah, I mean, the Torah for all intents and purposes, without the idea of Sinai behind it, you've got a bag of strange contradictions and strange stories. If you have Sinai at the base of it, you are compelled to make sense of it. To give you another example, when we find something logically problematic in the Torah, or morally problematic in the Torah, we feel compelled to answer it. Why don't we, when we see a contradiction emerge in the Torah, we feel compelled to answer it. Why? Because we think it's divine. If we didn't think it was divine, or at least we weren't acting as if it was divine, we would just say, yeah, a bunch of old pagan people put together a contradictory work. You'd expect it to be weird, immoral, and paganistic. We don't do that because we're compelled to justify it in the, in the, through the lens of that it came from Hashem. It came from Revelation. So to wrap this idea together. The king says to the Christian, you've got a lovely story there, but I had an encounter. I didn't have your encounter. So I don't have to make sense of those contradictions. And on top of that, how did the Christian open up with? The Jews. So the Christian is standing on the foundation of the Jews, Jews plus a whole bunch of stuff. The king didn't experience that bunch of stuff. I wasn't brought in up in that world. So I'm gonna keep on looking. And that parallel to our life, we spoke about the idea of where the idea emerges from doesn't negate its truth, just simply by pointing to the fact that you were born into a certain culture, you have to bring reasons for your worldview. The reasons stand <coughs> beyond the culture, but also it gives, reasons stand beyond the culture, but also it gives a dose of humility. Recognizing that people have different situations and different environments and different upbringings does paint how we see the world and this is giving credence to that good yes. all right let's jump into the muslim so this is the last secular chat this is the last uh, after this we're in like um jewish build but guys let's get through let's get through let's get through the muslim that sounds terrible let's with, with the greatest respect all right who wants to be um a, a cleric go for it yeah, the Muslim. Once again, foundations. Yep. At which once again, I don't mean to interrupt, just to, to play through the story here. He's 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 doing one up of the Christian. He's saying, I stand on the Jews as well. That, that's cool. And any of this weird Jesus like God thing, none of that stuff. And if you think you see in my Quran any of that Jesus, any of God being person, it's metaphorical or allegorical. Yeah? As a prophet, but not God. Unless they mean by a body. Yeah, 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 yeah. They would reject the Trinity, but they would accept um, Abram and Mosa and Jesus as being prophets. Okay? Okay, at the same time, we maintain that our work is the 
in my field or to learn other courses. Our profit is the field of the profit. We obligated every student for and invited all nations to embrace those funds. The reward of the highest consists in the, in the return of his spirit to his body in paradise and bliss, where he never ceases to enjoy eating, drinking, women's love, and anything he may desire. The requital of the disobedient consists in being condemned to the fire of hell and his punishment for his life. Chalm is deep. So, in essence, the Muslim brings two uh, opens his thing and he one ups the Christian. He shows that he's conceptually more sophisticated than the Christian. But he does two things. He brings evidence to the truth of Islam. How? What's the evidence he's bringing to bear? No, no book has ever been written that is quite as beautiful as the Quran doesn't use those words exactly, but an evidence that a Muslim would bring today is that if you read the Quran in Arabic, you will be left with no doubt that this was written so by God. The Jews kind of have, have not, not like maybe that strong belief like that, but the idea that the Torah is, is, is so divine that it, that is impossible, that it's kind of like... Uh, not really. Not I mean, some people say that if you learn, you involve yourself in time Torah, you sort of feel like... We, nobody says that if you, if it depends how you look at it. It's a good point because you are right. There are people who speak like that. Well, Definitely. Like, no one could have made it up. So, it depends what they mean by that. If they mean that these stories are so powerful and so world changing, that's a decent argument to make because the world has, uh, has developed based off the back of the chart, but that doesn't mean it's divine. It, so I don't mean to say people don't make that argument. I just don't personally find that argument particularly strong because yeah. I can envision lots of people reading the Torah as a really random book. And the evidence, the evidence yeah. to that is that when we, when they point out something that we would find like a bit yuck in the Torah itself, we try and make sense of it with the background that we're accepting it as divine. So the acceptance of it being divine kind of comes first. Not, yeah. person doesn't open up the Bible and like, and Christians claim this, but I don't really get it. They open up the Torah and they just they feel it's true. When Jews say that you do the, the learning of Torah, you, you connect to Hashem, they mean the more Torah and the more expansive sense of the word. Yeah. Good question? Okay, so the, the Muslim brings evidence of the truth of Islam through the Quran itself, and then goes down the road of saying, yeah, I get Judaism, but once again, we've added to it. We've changed Judaism. The Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, is the one who abrogated the law, and we now follow the, the um, we follow the, um, so I have to say that, I think it's often, not that I actually think peace should be upon him, it's just the way people speak about Muhammad. I have to justify myself to the recording. It's true, it's good point. Anyway, so um, so the, 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 he's, abrogate, he's, 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 he's uprooted the law and he brings a bit of a description of basically, it's actually, you get the, the, the very crass materialism of Islam here. The, the, the idea that reward from the point of view of the Quran is like food, it's like, it's women, it's the, it's the, most, it's the most base physical aspect of human uh, desire in us, is what the, Christ, the, what the Muslim holds up as being the attraction of following their religion. And it's always an idea that often comes about when speaking it within Christianity, they speak about blasting in the presence next to Jesus, which is very spiritual. Within Islam, it becomes super physical, both the pain and the description. When, the, when we do, when, the, when Hazal do descriptions that sound sort of physical, we try and understand how that metaphorically makes sense in the spiritual world. With 
in Islam, and I'm sure there's a Muslim who could explain it in a more profound way than like Rabbi Huda Levi's trying to describe it here because he's giving it like a little paragraph. But it is interesting that he chooses to do like that crass physical description of the afterlife in his closing statement. So those, that's what the Muslim does. Truth of the Quran, because it's awesome. And which is actually, uh, and, and the idea that the, the, the Prophet Muhammad like changed everything and you better listen to him. If you do, yay. If you don't, hell. Can we end with the response? I know we're rushing through this because it's like, a, and we can like, we can, we can go back to it next week and like, uh, pin, but I want to try and just end the response of the king. Can you be the king? Yeah, I mean, you've been the king so far, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if anyone is to be guided in, in matters divine and to be convinced that God speaks to man, whilst he considers it improbable, he must be convinced of it by means of generally known facts which allow no reputation and, and particularly in view of the belief that God has spoken to man. Although your book may be a miracle, as long as it is as it's been written in Arabic, a non-Arab as I am cannot perceive its miraculous character. And even if I if it were read to me, I could not distinguish between it and any other book like written straight in the Arabic So once again, he just opens up with saying, the basis for your religion, which should be able to speak to everybody, only speaks to people who can know Arabic internally. He's going he's gonna to bring it up. He's going to have to tackle that because Judaism may claim to have such an awesome argument, in which case, why, why isn't everybody Jewish? If Judaism has such a superposition, why isn't everybody Jewish? That's a question the king's going to hit at the rabbi. But for now, he's dismissed Islam. Because your basis for me following you is if I speak Arabic. I don't speak Arabic. So goodbye, Muslim. Well, you actually speak Arabic like the Muslim. No, 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 no. To appreciate the truth and the beauty of the divinity of the Quran, you have to be able to speak Arabic in like the way that would it's slightly circular, in a way that would make you see the divinity and the truth of the Quran. The king's like, I don't speak Arabic, so it's inaccessible to me. And a religion that's supposed to talk to the world can't be inaccessible to me. And as Sasha mentioned. Good question. What about Judaism? Everybody's not a Jew, but we have to deal with that. But just to recap in a very brief way, we brought a king who had a dream. The king's dream was my intentions are good, my actions are not. He went on a search. He searched for truth. He went to the, as it was put, the marketplace of ideas. And once again, we can see parallel in our own lives. We search out different worldviews. Even if we remain religious, we search out, we hear different worldviews. We weigh them, we measure them. We're looking for the truth. We're striving for truth. The king says hello to a, a philosopher, the philosopher's unique. He's given the biggest amount of headspace. We spent a whole class discussing the philosopher because he had what to tell us. And these ideas are going to be talked upon again. We then, but he dismissed him because he didn't answer my issue. You don't answer my problem. I want to know what I should do. I have a calling. I know my intentions are good, but I want a specific calling. And you're not telling me one. I, and, and just to finish off the thing, and, then, and the, then we have the, we have the Christian, and he dismantles the Christian by saying, well, a bit illogical, and I wasn't brought up like you, so I'm not going to accept that. You don't do that. You handed me a handful of contradictions. And then he goes to the Muslim and dismantles the Muslim by simply saying, yeah, I don't speak Islam, I don't speak Arabic. There is something to be said that he hasn't done these justice. He hasn't treated the, Islam, the Muslim and the Christian on their, their terms. As it's put, he hasn't met them in their space. He's not taking them as they are. He's caricaturing them to an extent. Why is he doing that? Because he's writing a book for Jewish people and he doesn't think this is the real threat. So if a person's looking for a, a refutation of Islam or Christianity, don't go to the Khuzari. It's enough for the purposes of the discussion. Enough. 
if a Christian read this, would he laugh and go, I could do way better argument than you gave him that? Possibly. Yes, sorry. No, I was just thinking that, like, I think that um, the king is just is also asking the, these Christian and Muslim groups because they, they, like Muhammad also had a dream and he thought he was divine. So, interesting so, point. Interesting and, like, point. And, and he was too. So, he, so it's like he had a dream. He's just trying to make sense of it. And his way of going about in the world, he was just uh, he was. Well, we didn't get to Oz yet. Yeah, so yeah, I'm for sure. Anything yet, but I'm just saying that like, I mean, even the, even in the Torah, people who are not Jewish and people who are Jewish have dreams. Like, all these sort of points about, and also, all these sort not of points thinking that they're in the right. I'm just saying that, like, making sense of dreams is a big thing for us. For sure. Torah. And also, the idea of dreams being a basis for something is actually intact in the Torah. Dreams shouldn't be the basis of, uh, for example, there's an idea of conversion. A dream shouldn't be a basis for a conversion. It's in the end decided that it's okay, but it's something that's discussed. Should a dream be a basis of something? And these things will definitely be discussed. Okay, guys, thank you all for listening.